Hey everyone, I'm Johnny. I'm Victoria. Welcome to Tasty Pages, a podcast from Cooking the Books. Each week, we'll discuss a featured cookbook. And we'll rank each book in a variety of categories, including food photography and styling, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. This week's featured cookbook is... The Barbudo Cookbook by Jonathan Waxman. Hey, Johnny. Hey, Victoria. How are you doing? I am well. How are you, milady? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm uh, letting my inner dirt ball fly. I know, you and me both. <laughs> hey, I, like I'm a total dirt McGirt. Speaking of which, do you remember when uh, this is out of left field? Do you remember when old dirty bastard changed his legally changed his name to Dirt McGirt? Smart man. And he was also Baby Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> he, had a, he had more nicknames than Prince. Right. R.I.P. O.D.B. All right, welcome to Tasty Pages, episode 18, uh, a podcast from Cooking the Books. A few housekeeping things per usual. Uh, If you go to our website at wecookbooks.com, there's a store tab, and that will direct you to our Amazon.com affiliate page. And from there, we've got a couple things, first of which being kitchen essentials for home cooks. This is uh, a collection of things that we use in our kitchen on an almost daily basis. We're not paid by the companies. Um, it's just stuff we really love, yeah. and we want you to love it too. Yeah. And if you make your purchase from that link, we get a few pennies. It doesn't cost you anything more. Uh, there you go. And then we've got a cookbook section. Um, which I need to update because yeah. there's been some recent favorites that are not yet on there. But I'll Absolutely. take care of that by the time this episode airs. And um, that's kind of the latest and greatest of ones that we've featured over at the Cooking in the Books Instagram and ones that we really enjoyed. Um, so if you're looking for a gift this time of year for yourself or the home cook in your life, this would be a great place to start. Um, all right. Before we dive into <laughs> this book... <laughs> We, we've been dreading this moment, and you'll understand why shortly. But uh, let's talk about what we just finished up. All right. So we just finished Cook With Me by a- Alex Gornicelli. Um A lot of you know her from the Food Network. Yep. Uh, she owns a butter restaurant. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty solid book. Yeah. I've enjoyed No much, complaints. Right? And I'm looking forward to sharing that in a future episode. Uh, what do we got up next? Uh, up next, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, we are doing uh, Plot Du Jour, French Dinners Made Easy by Susan Herman Loomis. Um, and that is going to, it's not out yet. Yep. Um, uh, but we've only we're, done. We're VIPs, so we get the book <laughs> in advance. We've, we've only mm-hmm. done a few French books in the, like for the past couple years. Yeah. There was uh, Around My French Table, uh, Dinner in French. Yeah, I, that- I, I don't know if you share this belief, and it's probably even just a misconception, but in my mind, I have that French food is going to be like really kind of like heavy, heavy. and yeah. unhealthy and stuff. But winter is here in Chicago, so this is the perfect time to maybe lean into some of those recipes. Uh, I, w- I was looking through it, and... I put so many tabs in there yeah. trying to pick out, and we're, now we now we have the uh, the horrible task of trying to narrow down what we're going to make. Yep, um, but that's forthcoming, and I, and I think we're both looking forward to that. So that that's going to be a fun one. Um, and then, hey, most importantly, what is for dinner tonight? We are having leftovers from last night. Uh, it was a leftover. Uh, 
pork shoulder pizziola. Um, it was delicious. That was from the Alex Gornicelli uh-huh. book. Mm-hmm. And um, it made a lot. So yeah, yeah, we threw some did. in the freezer and we're having some for dinner. And it's so weird to me. We were talking about this earlier. It's so weird to me to just chuck something in a microwave. Yeah, that's generally not how we eat. I mean, obviously, doing what we're doing here, we love to cook. And in particular, I kind of enjoy the whole process of it, like prepping the food. And it's just, that's my way of unwinding at the end of a day. Um, And so it's kind of weird to, we're just so accustomed to that, that, you know, we're not cooking anything tonight. And we're just like sticking something in a bowl and heating (laughs) it up. (laughs) Hey. I'm I'm here for it. I ain't complaining. (laughs) I know. (laughs) All right. So rather than dedicate any time in this episode to random discussion. Yeah. We're still watching the Christmas movies. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Um, Christmas cupcakes streaming on Amazon. That was a good one last night. If you're looking (laughs) for something kind of food themed um, yet dumb at the same time, that was a good one. I highly recommend it. Absolutely. I agree. Um, these two sisters inherit a bakery from their father who passed away. And he like horribly mismanaged it. Yep. And they were like hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. And or there was so a loan that had their, to be paid. Their lifeline becomes this food network chopped style type cooking competition um, that they enter and uh, and we'll leave it at that so that we don't prize. so that we don't yeah no spoilers mm, yep but it's it's it uh, jokes and hijinks follow and it's it's very funny um, and dumb and Christmassy so there you go <laughs> okay so we received this Barbudo book uh, this fall I believe mm-hmm. whenever it came out. And uh, we're very excited. We love Jonathan Waxman. We have a previous book of his called A Great American Cook. Which was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's just very classic. I think he refers to it as like California Italian mm-hmm. cuisine. And I think that's that's appropriate. Um, this book shows up. We're excited to dive into it. That excitement quickly evaporated once we found um, how littered with errors and vague instructions and just basically sloppy editing. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. We're we're part of um, this, uh, I guess you could call it an influencer group or whatever. It's called Abrams Dinner Party. And so there's, um, there's a Facebook group for us. And as people started getting into this book, um, they'd be posting like, hey, this is not right. What's yeah. going on here? Um, there's errors and... and so liter- I, Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, like literally every, every day there would be something yes. new. So I, I was going to say, I think we were kind of aware of mm-hmm. some of these before we started the book ourselves mm-hmm. and then just quickly discovered more and more to the point of where just recently Abrams released um, kind of an errata page to include with the book. And it is literally like a full page of corrections. There's 25 corrections. Okay. Okay. And And they didn't catch all of them. We'll get to that in a second. There's others that we've discovered. And recipes run from page 28 to 304. That is an average error, like error about every 11 pages, if you're going to average it out. Yeah. But I mean, in the book, it'll be like, 
two pages apart, five pages apart, what have you. But it's well, mm. and it cookbook errors are not uncommon. That's something we've discovered since beginning this project. Is it's it's fairly common. Like it you'll happens, just find yeah. something that doesn't work out, but it's usually limited to just one or two recipes per book. This one. I think it's worth noting the editor, at least credited in the book, Michael Sand, was really asleep at the wheel on this because it is <laughs> he d- and we're not talking like minor things as we'll discuss in a second. I mean, there's some pretty, you know, ingredients being mentioned in the introduction to the recipe that are nowhere to be found in the ingredient list. Um Things that are just wildly off as far as measurements or times or something, mm-hmm. um, resulting in a pretty frustrating experience, if I'm being candid. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, let's get into what <laughs> what we made. <laughs> okay, so kick us off, because you did all the measuring and stuff for this. You yeah, made so, the crust. Uh, if you've ever had a chance to eat at... Barbudo in New York before it closed. Uh, you know, one of the signature dishes on there that they were known for was their pizzas. Um, and this is the pizza ovo. Yes. So egg, egg, with a pizza with like a egg on top. And, you know, never miss an opportunity to make something like that. So, so we dove in, um, Normally, when we make pizzas and flatbreads from a book, we use our solidly reliable recipe from the Paul Kahan book, Cooking for Good Times. Highly recommended. Great cookbook. Came out last year. Um, And the pizza dough recipe in there is pretty simple, and it's kind of become our go-to recipe. It's easy, and the dough is beautiful to work with. I get so excited every time I get to work with it. So as a matter of fact, we have some in our freezer right now. It freezes really well. And it's generally something that we just have for when we, when the, when the pizza mood strikes us. Mm -hmm. Um, So rather than use that, we decided that we'd follow the pizza dough recipe from this book um, so that we could really stay true to the recipe and and evaluate it. Um, Plus we just were curious if it was going to turn out or not because we were aware of what we were getting ourselves into. Um, Hold on to your knickers. There's going to be a lot of numbers here. Yes. It makes my head swim. <laughs> okay. So before we even begin with that, in step one of the recipe, it, it mentions adding both flours, which is all purpose and whole wheat for this recipe. Then when you move on to step two of the recipe, it mentions adding all purpose only for the first rise time. There's a few different rise times in the recipe. No mention of mixing anything. Um, There was supposed to be a cup and a half of water. We scaled it down to a cup and it still was a very sticky dough. Well, the the dough starter, the biga, actually had the incorrect amount of flour Okay. Two, which is another problem. Yeah. So the rise times were shorter than what was estimated in the book. And this was like a cool fall afternoon. So it wasn't even like our kitchen was hot at Mm -mm. the time. Um, There was also discrepancies with the volume versus weight measurements. And this was something that I actually tested when making this recipe. So the book claims that two and a half cups of all-purpose flour should weigh... 320 grams. Um, ours, which um, I don't know, we usually use King Arthur, so that's probably mm-hmm. what it was. 
Um, that seems pretty standard for a lot of cookbooks. They'll recommend um, the King Arthur flour. But ours, uh, for that same two and a half cups, came to 373 grams. So that was a difference of about 53 grams. See, and that's what's so frustrating is when you do it by weight, it's, you know, you do it by weight, so it's more accurate. Yep. <laughs> And and that's another pet peeve of ours regarding cookbooks is like most books these days I think are pretty good about providing uh, weight. Yeah. Um, there are still some that just stick to volume, and it's really frustrating when that happens because uh, weight is by far the the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Then the wheat flour, which is half a cup, uh, in the book, it says that that should weigh 120 grams, but in actuality, it weighed 74 grams. So it was off almost by an equal amount, by about 50 grams, but it was like the opposite direction. So, you know, my actual whole uh, all-purpose flour was off to that side. The wheat was off to the other side, if that makes sense. Um the recipe yield was wildly off because it claimed that this recipe would make eight uh, dough balls weighing 225 grams, which would be like a like if you weighed the entire dough ball, it'd be like 1,800 grams. We ended up with five at 220 for a total weight of 1,100 grams. So that's a 700 gram difference in the final product can we in talk the yield. About, can we talk about the yeast too? Four and a half teaspoons. That is, I I bake frequently enough to know that, you know, any bread or dough that we've made generally does not have that much yeast in it. That is a lot of yeast. And it was a very fragrant, sour-smelling dough. It tasted sour, too, actually. So this is before we even dive into the the pizza recipe. We're still struggling with the dough. Um, So what we decided to do is make two pizzas. Um, the first, we were going to follow the recipe exactly. The second, we were going to make some changes that we could foresee, you know, would be an issue with the recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Why don't you walk us through like what we did on that first one? Okay. Um, first of all, the dough it was so hard to um, work with. Uh, it was a struggle. Yeah, it was. Um, it didn't... It, it didn't require you to cook the pancetta ahead of time. The cooking temperature was very low. Yep. Um, too low. And if you look at the, I mean, I get that the food is styled as beautifully as possible for the book. But um, if you look at the photo, the pizza is all like nice and golden brown and bubbly. Like the crust is charred. Yeah, well... Th- I mean, anytime you eat pizza at a restaurant that has like the wood-fired pizza, you you know that the temperature is going to be, you know, 800 degrees and it's going to have that nice bubbling charred crust, which is always a challenge to achieve in a home kitchen. Exactly. We do all right with our, our oven can go up to a maximum of 550 Fahrenheit with a baking stone in there. And that does all right. The results are good. Mm-hmm. Um, this recipe called for the oven to be at 450 Fahrenheit Mm -hmm. or 232 Celsius to anyone outside of the U (laughs) S so we have to be stubborn and cling to these Imperial measurements. Um, but yeah, the baking time was much longer. 
Um, I, I'm convinced it just part of me thinks that they actually use the, you know, like use the baking time of a wood fire oven for. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the whole purpose of this book is to allow people to recreate these dishes made famous at the restaurant in a home kitchen. And I think this one just was not properly tested in a home kitchen because yeah. I would challenge anyone to prove otherwise, but there, I, as the recipe is in that book, there is no way you could replicate that pizza yes. and have it look like the accompanying photo. Well, and by the time that the egg was set, you know, the, by the time the egg got set, the crust still was not cooked. Nor was the pancetta. No. Um, you can't pile up, all these ingredients, including pancetta, raw pancetta on a pizza crust, which is also raw. Yeah. And then put an egg on top and expect it to all cook, cook all at, at the, the same, same time. time. Yes. So what we ended up doing, we par baked the crust first. That helped a little bit. And we cooked the pancetta ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, and then... We, uh, did we put the egg on? We cooked it and then we put the egg on At and put it back in. the last part of the yeah. cooking time, yeah. Because um, obviously that's not going to take long to set. And it still was not good. That dough was terrible. It yeah. Was, it wasn't even chewy. It was, um, it was sour. It was gummy. That's you, the word I'm looking you for. You could taste the failure. <laughs> it did taste like <laughs> failure. So actually, I think we're going to try and we we're going to try and take another crack at it this maybe this week. Yep. Um, we love a good challenge. Yeah, because we have a pizza. You know, we've got our pizza dough, and we're just going to like. I I love the idea of this pizza, so we're just going to go our own way as uh, Fleetwood Mac would We're say. We're going to make it how it should be made. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, not a good way to start the book. Um, moving along. All right. Jerusalem, Jerusalem artichoke soup. Sunchokes. Sunchokes. We we love a good tuber. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, unfortunately, with this dish, right in the intro to the recipe, uh, Jonathan Waxman mentions cooking peas and favas separately. The only problem? No favas. No favas in the ingredient wah, list. Wah, so uh, you're left to interpret whether that was uh, you know, um, an error on his part in, in mentioning them, or if you're supposed to include them, and if so, how many, and what you're supposed to do with them, and when. Um yeah, not a not a good way to to start. Yeah, so we just left out we left out the favas, yep. um, made the soup. It was actually delicious. Yeah, it was very good. Um, but you know there was that error. And well, and I mean the one silver lining from this dish was that uh, salsa verde, mm -hmm. um, which we also used for a. Uh, dish that we'll discuss in a second. But so we knew that we'd be making this and using it for two dishes. And that was actually kind of the star of the show. I thought that was, a, that was a really good uh, mixture of ingredients. Yes. I agree. So may have saved that recipe. <laughs> All right. Meatballs and polenta was the All next right. thing we made. Um, I guess 
Well, the, first of all, this one made like 10,000 meatballs. Yes, it did. <laughs> the yield was, we, I think we finally just finished the leftovers after a few months. Um, yeah, we put it, we, <laughs> we froze them. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't just hanging out in the back of our fridge no. or anything. <laughs> Although that's been known to happen. <laughs> Not above that. Um, I mean, the, the first issue is you're instructed to cook these meatballs first, even though that the polenta requires at least three times as long. It took a long time mm-hmm. to make that polenta. Um, so that is the first thing that you should start with. Otherwise, like your meatballs are done long ago and you're still finishing the polenta. Yep. Um, for the sauce, it called for a 16 ounce can of tomatoes. Um, no such thing. No, there's that I'm not. Aware of. They're 14 or 28. Yep. So, and in the errata, it actually says to change it to 28 ounces. Oh, how nice. Yes. So then you're putting in, like, if you follow the recipe, about <laughs> half of what's required. Yes. Um, I mean, it tasted good. It did. But I'm a big fan of polenta. I love polenta. Yeah. Um, it was really tasty, but still. You have these errors. Yep. Um, hey, a success story. Yes. Lemon pasta. Yes. <laughs> no complaints with this one. This was probably my favorite recipe from mm-hmm. the book. I agree. Um, pretty classic, simple pairing of flavors with one uh, kind of surprise. It had I guess. some edamame in it. Yeah. Or as Guy Fieri likes to say, Eddie's, Eddie's mommy. mommy. <laughs> Don't get us started on that. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this had like a great depth of flavor, no issues. It was kind of, uh, we, we we considered it a small victory. It was beautifully simple. Yep. Um, so, good job. Yeah. <laughs> Go you. <laughs> you didn't make a mistake in this one. All right. Next is the JW Chicken. You know what? I was today years old when I realized that the JW stood for Jonathan Waxman. <laughs> you're you're kind of slow on the uptake there. <laughs> Good I, job, son. I have no excuse. I'm dumb. Um, um, yeah. This, uh, this. I mean, we. I feel like we kind of had to make it because it was a signature dish. Of- yeah, how many of these did he said they served in their? restaurant it was like thousands and yeah. thousands like it's it's like the signature dish on the menu that everyone orders when they go there well and with good reason because this was another one that was absolutely fabulous yep um no there were no errors in this recipe olive oil salt and pepper yep keep it simple yep and then it had that lovely salsa verde i mean uh, he did mention a trout at the beginning of the recipe description shut up i'm did kidding he? Oh. No. <laughs> Sorry. You're a jerk. I know. Ugh. I shouldn't be shouldn't be making fun since uh there's plenty of actual errors to go around. Right. Um but <laughs> this was the other dish that we used that salsa verde for. Yep. And that was like the perfect accompaniment for this chicken because it, otherwise it's just like a real simple roast chicken. Mm-hmm. Um salsa verde takes it to the next level. There's not there's nothing more satisfying than a nice, tasty, juicy roast chicken. And deceptively simple at times there's enough people that try and oh i feel like people have a hard time roasting a chicken that's what i mean i I, I didn't word it correctly but yeah (laughs) like is this done you you know and all of a sudden 
the thigh is raw when you yeah. <laughs> hack into the floor bird. Folks, if you don't have a meat thermometer already, pick one up. There's no shame in that. Right. Kind of essential. Yeah. No guessing. No, like, pressing on your thumb and fingers and stuff like that. Get a meat thermometer, <laughs> you Neanderthal. <laughs> All right. So... Uh, the next thing we did was called the poppet. It was a cocktail. Yep. We usually try, if there are cocktails in a book, we will usually try and make one. Um, we did the Bank Street Buck. Um, that was what we initially chose. That's oh, not what right. we made. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Okay. You're so right. we were browsing through the drink portion and we saw this one called the Bank Street Buck, which sounded really interesting. The only problem is in the ingredient list, there was something called an allspice dram. Okay, this is kind of our fault, too, because we were being like, we're idiots. Because, well. Well, go. F- now, you you say your thing. I'll say my thing. Because <laughs> I was like, what is an allspice dram? So I asked the Googs. Yep. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Asking the Googs. Shout out to Dave. Yep. Um, so I asked Google and uh, and uh, it turns out that it takes a couple days to make. So I was like, well, we're not we're not going to make this cocktail because and there was no recipe for an allspice dram. Yeah. So in the back of the book, there are uh, there is a section for making various like pantry ingredients that you'll need for these recipes, as well as like different, you know, there's like a rosemary syrup, a watermelon juice, a fennel salt. So there are. Sec- a section in the book for some of these things that you'll have to create. Mm-hmm. No mention of allspice dram, no mention of what it is, no mention of how to get it. Actually, the well, and we, the we kind of discovered after the fact that one of our local stores actually has it, uh, you know, two months after this book disaster. So that was of no help to us at that point, but live and learn. Yep. But, I mean, just things like that where you're kind of assuming a lot. There was another recipe with, like, a green garlic oil with no mention. Oh, that was for the pizza. That was on the pizza. Yeah. No mention of how to create it. No recipe for it. Uh, no recipe of what it consists of. Yeah. Is it, is where like, to get it. Just assume that you've got green garlic oil hanging around your pantry. Right? Which we do not. No. Waxman. <laughs> um. Yeah, so anyway, we had to do a pivot because we could not make this Bank Street Buck drink that we had chose. We had to make this one called the Poppet. You remember anything about that? I don't. <laughs> it was kind of forgettable. Sorry. Um, I mean, there were other things. There was a recipe for a Brussels sprout pizza in the book that mentions both fresh tomatoes and thyme. They are nowhere to be found on the ingredient list. The photo for the recipe shows red onions and shallots on top of the pizza, Mm -hmm. which are not mentioned in the recipe. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just things like that where there's like a real disconnect between some of the photos that are in the book. With the recipe, yes, almost as if you know they took photos early on and then made revisions to the recipe without updating the photo. Well, to me, it kind of feels like did they do no recipe testing for like a home kitchen or did they do recipe testing at all? I know, I right. I mean, hate to hate to start accusations, but that's that's the impression I got. Was I this was just and. 
you know, I, I understand this is like unusual times and maybe this was a bit rushed to, uh, to press, but you know, we're nine plus months into this pandemic, pandemic quarantine. And there's countless cookbooks that have been released during that time, uh, including something like Ina Garten's Modern Comfort Food, which has been showing up on like best of lists. Mm-hmm. That was initially teased by her on social media back in May and just saying like, hey, I'm going to put out a cookbook. Yeah. And, you know, so seemingly she threw that one together and rushed it to press without errors and issues and stuff. So I, I find that a pretty unconvincing explanation for it's kind of passing the buck i think like yes and i mean i i feel like the editor is definitely at fault with this but ultimately jonathan waxman's name is on the book no one's gonna criticize the editor besides us on a podcast right but you know someone's gonna buy this book maybe they ate at barbudo and had some wonderful meals and they want to try and replicate those in their kitchen and they're gonna be really frustrated and disappointed. I would be pissed off if I bought this book and there are so many errors. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're, you might as well light $40 on fire. Yep. Um, and also if you are a novice cook or even an okay cook, this book would have me in tears. Yeah. Well, because you you would just you're creating failure. I mean, even if you're good at thinking quickly on your feet and adapting, some of these you'd really be forced to just roll the dice. I mean, in the case of, you know, some of these ingredients that are mentioned but not included, that you have no idea like when to add them, how much to add, all that stuff and and Yeah. And with how wildly off the measurements are, like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's not often that a book will slip through, you know, cause we get plenty of cookbooks sent mm-hmm. to us and we screen them and there's some that, you know, maybe they just don't appeal to us for whatever reason or, you know, but it's, it's rare when one of these slips through where, you know, we actually feature it for a week and cook from it and it's just. It's an uphill us battle the whole – before we started this podcast, there was another book that we cooked out of that wasn't great. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. We don't, you know, we don't want to be negative or, you know, like – Yeah, this is someone's livelihood. And, you know, someone of Jonathan Waxman's caliber, it's like, who are we to criticize him? But, I mean, someone really dropped the ball with this yeah. one. So let's get on to our rankings Food, photography, and styling. All right. What'd you have? I gave it a four. It was uh, I, it was really simple photos. They were more like macro shots, close up, yep. really unfussy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, okay. I gave it a three. Okay. In the credits at the end of the book, I counted at least five different photographer credits. Okay. So you you can't even attribute, you know, all the photographs to just one person. Um, as you mentioned, there's like a lot of close-up kind of what I would consider like macro shots. There was a lot of shots that appeared to have been taken at the restaurant. You could kind of see in the background, you know, people dining at a table and stuff. So it looked like, you know, that's where they were 
taken. Um, I don't know if it's just because of the simplicity of the photographs or the fact that there were numerous photographers involved, but I just wasn't impressed by anything. They weren't bad, but they didn't blow me away. It okay. was it was kind of the equivalent of meh. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. That's I mean, it was fine. All right. Uh design and layout. What did you give it? Give it a four. Shut up, you did. Yeah, I I didn't have any problem with like if you're just evaluating the book by design and layout, I thought I thought the handwritten font throughout the book was was kind of clever. I liked that. The type size was good. Sometimes books as I get into my old age. Your peepers uh, are going. My peepers are going. And so some of these books have such small type size that I kind of struggle with it. Um, so, you know, I didn't really have any issue with with the design and layout. Um, what else can I say? I, I mean, the the you know, everything's divided cleverly into like types of dish. So it's like pizza, pasta, salads. Um, no issue with that. What'd you have? I gave it a one. Okay. But I think... Please explain. Uh, well, I think part of the whole thing is that I feel like a lot of times in this book, and maybe I guess I'm just like resting it all on this big thing that I have a problem with. You know how the, you know how the recipes have intros? Yep. It honestly seemed to me like the intros for the recipes were sw- like they would get switched wrong intro for the recipes. I got that impression too. And I'd, I'd be curious to know if there's any truth to that. Well, there was one for, uh, there was one for sea bream and Waxman is, uh, talking about how, what a gorgeous fish sea bream is. And then, Oh, look over here at the re- at the recipe, and it calls for a red snapper. Yeah, I mean, it's. And one of the things I enjoyed most about the book was all of his writing at the, the you story, know, yeah, the stories, and you know, he's got a sense of humor. He seems like a genuinely nice guy. He does. Anytime I've seen you know him on TV shows or being interviewed, and and so that's what makes this particularly frustrating with this book is it's someone that you really want to champion and root for, and then the you know the final product is just so inferior that can't do it. Yeah. All right. So so you gave it a one for the design and layout. Yeah. Okay. Hey. <laughs> I'm being so mean. No. Okay. You're being honest. Uh, degree of difficulty. What'd you have? I'm going to say five. Yep. Because this was, a, uh, this was walking to school in the winter, uphill, both ways, <laughs> barefoot. With no lunch. During a blizzard. Yep. Yeah, I did as well. I mean, as it's written... This book would be a challenge to execute the dishes, even for experienced cooks. Absolutely, someone with a culinary degree that's worked in restaurants, such as yourself, and and you were just as frustrated as I was. I wanted to toss from this, book. this damn thing out the window. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, taste. Oh yes, you gave it a five as well. I for, did. Okay. Yep. All right. So for taste, uh, I gave it a two. Me too. 
Uh, same thing as written. It's kind of a mixed bag of both good and bad, but I challenge anyone to successfully execute that pizza as it's written in the book Yeah, with, with, you know, following the recipes. Cause, uh, that's just not going to happen. Um, I, I would imagine if the recipes were solid, um, and, and well tested that the rating would be much higher. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I really wanted to. I so wanted this book to be great, and it just was not. Sorry, Jonathan. Sorry. We 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 tried. Yeah. We 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 kept hoping it would get better. <laughs> All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it. Um, you can find us on the web at wecookbooks.com, as well as Instagram at we we underscore cook underscore books. And on Facebook at We Cook Books, uh, production assistance was provided by Danny Schaefer. There you go. Thank you, Danny. All right. You know what time it is. Lay it on me. Joke time. I feel like this episode was so serious and I was being the yuck to everyone's yum. Oh, that, you better that, make me laugh. Then, then I need to come up with a good one. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm just going to I'm just gonna do a, a funny quote. Okay. And this one's attributed, attributed to... Uh, Tommy Smothers from the Smothers Brothers. <laughs> When's the last time you thought of the Smothers Brothers? Maybe I got some like, uh, Smothers Brothers yeah. records laying around here. My grandma probably did. Um, okay, so he said, red meat is not bad for you. Now, blue-green meat, that's bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, everyone. Have a fantastic week. Wear a mask. Be safe. Bye.